Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, brought to you by the two people who have covered Nashville SC in their respective disciplines longer than anybody else this week. Only one person who has covered Nashville SC longer than anyone else in his respective discipline. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Uh, West Bowling is unavailable with travel issues, so we will forge ahead without him. Um, before we get started, I would like to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, ML Rose, uh, the Melrose location, a quick 14 minute and 20 second walk from uh, Geodis Park, as as has been empirically proven by yours truly. Um, Wes, Wes has seen the 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 watch uh, uh, evidence there, so it, you'll have to take his word for it if you don't take mine for it. Um, I want to talk about something about ML Rose that we have have never previously talked about, I don't think. Uh, Team Trivia at ML Rose. Um, they have it at each of their locations. Um, Melrose is on Tuesdays, Sylvan Park on Mondays, Capitol View on Wednesdays, Mount Juliet also on Wednesdays. They are at different times depending on the location. So make sure you check mlrose.com for the day. Um, anybody who knows me knows I absolutely love trivia. Um, shout out to to many of the people, many of the people who have, have played trivia with me before. And that will actually include somebody who gets an honor from our other sponsor, um, Bearded Iris. Um, a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about that with our tap of the week. Um, but for now, let's let's hop right into the content here. It's going to be a bit shorter show because I, I hate the sound of my own voice and I don't want to hear myself talk for, for a long time. But I first uh, want to get to a couple new signings for Nashville Soccer Club. Um, the first is the second homegrown signing for this club. Um, and that is, uh, um, excuse me, that... <laughs> That is Isaiah Jones, the uh, the homegrown player who has been in the Nashville SC Academy for a few years. Uh, we talked just a few weeks ago about how his older brother Malachi uh, was a a top ten uh, MLS Super Draft pick, and uh, I was I was saying, oh yes, Malachi has some younger brothers who are in the Nashville SC Academy, and um, it is Isaiah who becomes the the first of of the Jones family dozen <laughs> to pick. To, to pick um, Nashville SC and, and earn a, a, a contract with the boys in gold. Um, Isaiah Jones's contract is uh, as a homegrown player through the 2027 season with an option for 2028, um, as is the case uh, with the player who preceded him in becoming an, a homegrown player for Nashville SC, Adem Sipic. I don't expect him to play a ton uh for the first team this year, I think he may get some minutes in in some of the secondary competitions for Nashville SC. But he's a five nine hundred sixty five pound midfielder sort of guy who who's going to remind some people actually of of, of Cozy Denasiano, who who very 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 briefly played for Nashville SC um, in just a couple matches um, and was also a twenty five year old signing out of the University of Virginia. When you sign a kid who is still seventeen, doesn't turn eighteen um, until the the uh, I guess it would be the third month of the season here since the season starts this month in February. His birthday is April 8th. For those who are curious, um, you obviously have a lot of upside that you're looking for. So um, definitely one for the future, but Isaiah Jones is going to be a guy that Nashville SC fans, I think are, are likely to hear from in, in the future. This is a club that has taken some, um, as we've talked about in the past, perhaps unfounded or, or overstated criticism uh, from the from the MLS intelligentsia for not focusing on their academy, and I, you know, I think the reality is when you are in a state like Tennessee that has so few um, high level soccer players, and and it's a testament to Nashville SC's development that um, Jones is a player who comes from their backyard. He's from Thompson Station. Um, for those who don't know, that's just outside of Franklin. And um, Sibich is is another guy who 
is, is fairly local. He's from Bowling Green. So these are guys that are from non-soccer hotbeds that Nashville SC has managed to develop into first team players. So that is, I think, something to keep in mind and, and look to the future and see that NSC Academy, the gold mine is coming up with a bit of talent for the boys in gold. Um, the other signing is, is one that just came through today as I record on Thursday. That is Amar Sadich, the uh, midfielder, another midfielder. He's a guy who Nashville SC fans probably remember. And uh, I went through my archives of, of game previews for uh, both CF Montreal in the 2020 season and over the past three seasons as Sadich was playing for Atlanta United. And um, the results for Atlanta United on an individual basis for Sadich were, were not particularly bright. But when you look at the bigger picture, um, no defensive midfielders for Atlanta United have had good um, goals added numbers, according to American Soccer Analysis, over the past three years. It's a club that um, was either terrible from 2021 to 2022 or last year when they were a bit better. Um, it was all about uh, Tiago Almada and the attacking midfielders and the, and the creation. The defensive midfield still was not getting good um, numbers, according to goals added. And that's a team style difference. That is not a, a player quality difference. I do think that when you look at replacing a guy like Dax McCarty, Nashville has clearly chosen to go with a let's try and do this. I'm kind of by uh, by a platoon here, a savior by committee, so to speak, in in some of the the worlds of soccer. If if people know what I mean, there. Um, congrats to you. Uh, you have the same uh, soccer podcast appetite that I do. But Sadich is a guy who who has has been kind of a um, a multi purpose central midfielder. Uh, he's played alongside. Uh, other he's he's kind of a second six he has played behind or played next to excuse me guys who want to bomb forward a little bit guys who are destroyers he can do a little bit of everything he is not going to stand out in any singular way I have mentioned this in the past I think he reminds me a little bit of the New York Red Bulls that Nashville SC has signed um in recent years saying we're a better fit stylistically for what this guy is going to do, whether this guy refers to Alex Muell, whether it refers uh, to Drew Yearwood. Um, these are guys that have come in and, and done better for Nashville SC than they ever did for Red Bulls. I think you could say Toronto FC is another franchise that Nashville SC has, has benefited from doing that with. And um, you, you need only look as far as Lucas McNaughton and, um, and Jacob Schaffelberg, especially two guys who, who were basically cast aside by Toronto FC and have had, a really good start to their tenure with Nashville SC. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and that is, uh, I guess, uh, sorry, Wes, <laughs> I did not, I did not brand it. Um, but, but that would be our, our opening segment, which means I want to really quickly get into our tap of the week. Our tap of the week is presented by bearded Iris. Uh, we're going to give a, a soccer, uh, tap to somebody and, and then we'll tell you a little bit about what bearded Iris has going on. Our tap of the week, I alluded to it at the very beginning, uh, goes to Taylor Washington, a guy who was indeed on my on my trivia team when Nashville SC had a trivia night uh, way back in the USL days. Um, shout out to Taylor. We did not win, but um, he was a great he was a great teammate. And uh, against Birmingham Legion FC uh, just yesterday, he's a guy who got a cross headed home by Sam Surridge. So he provided that tap to Sam Surridge. And that's something that um, we're really happy to see. So uh I think anybody who who knows this podcast, anybody who also knows Taylor knows that he's one of the best dudes on this planet. Wes and I talk about it regularly. Awesome to see him as the lone original Nashville SC player still around, still producing and, and potentially playing as big a role as he ever has for Nashville SC. And again, uh, because the tap of the week is, is presented by Bearded Iris, uh, we have a little bit of news from Bearded Iris to present to you guys. Um, this is something that is is 
just getting started at Bearded Iris and um, their uh, West Nashville tap room is is what they are most interested in and having us talk to you guys about. So um, what they have going on is, is uh, R&D University, it's called. Class is now in session. They say, welcome to a world of exploration and experimentation at R&D University, our research and development program at Bearded Iris, Sylvan Supply. We're passionate about cultivating variety using unique ingredients not widely explored in craft beer community. And that's where you come in. Your feedback isn't just valued. It's the compass guiding our journey. With each trial, we'll rely on your insights to help us determine which flavors are truly worth cultivating. Together, let's redefine the future of craft beer. Um, this week at R&D University, they are launching Hops 101 Alora, a single hop IPA. It is the first installment of R&D University. And if you are listening on Friday morning, hold off. <laughs> Wait until this afternoon. The tap will not be live until 3.30 this afternoon in the Sylvan Supply tap room for Bearded Iris. If you're listening late at night, I don't know when Wes is going to get this podcast up, but if you're listening late Thursday night, uh, you have to wait until tomorrow. I'm sorry. Um, if you are not listening until Saturday, head on over there right now. Um, Sylvan Supply, uh, the tap room for Bearded Iris, they will be uh, tapping Hops 101 Alora this afternoon. Thank you to Damien. Thank you to Bearded Iris for their support of the podcast. As Wes promised earlier today, uh, we will be having a mailbag episode. And and since Wes was unable to make it, it's going to be me asking the questions of myself. Um, so uh, let's get right into it. And uh, it will it will shock and awe you to learn that our first question is asked by a very good friend of the pod, Logan Elliott. Logan asks, can you go over why trialists are not announced by the club? Curious to know why preseason squads in the NFL, NBA, et cetera, are public, but MLS squads aren't. What Logan is referring to is um, in Nashville SC's win over Birmingham Legion, as well as their their closed door friendlies that they have already had over the course of this uh, winter uh, preseason session here. They have played uh, with some players in the lineup that that they just put out a line, uh, uh, a graphic that says trialist, and it does not say what the names of those players are. Um, you know, I don't I don't think there's really going to be a satisfying answer to it. It's kind of an MLS thing that that teams don't announce who their trialists are. Um, I think part of it is because they don't want to um, show up any of their currently signed players and say, oh, this is, you know, uh, I guess, encourage speculation about whether this guy's going to be beaten out by by trialists because trialists scored a goal. It is also unfair to those guys individually to have their names put out there when they might be trying to get jobs with other clubs be it in MLS, be it in USL, be it somewhere else. Um, if they kind of get linked too hard to a, a given club, in this case, it would be Nashville SC. It can be tough for them to get signed. And it can be embarrassing for them if their names are out there and it's and you know fans are clamoring for trialist number one to get signed and he doesn't. Um, I think at the end of the day, our take, and it's similar to our take in a lot of matters <laughs> as relates to this, is it, it's it doesn't do anybody a whole lot of service to not announce those. I understand, but disagree with the reasons that they, that they choose not to announce those trialists. Um, it is what it is. Um, and that actually will take us right into our next question. Um, Jay Oz, another regular question asker, um, says, was the identity of the right back trialist ever discovered is Swiss army knife wheel. The answer for Shaq's backup. Um, the, uh, the right back trialist was McKinsey Gaines's younger brother, Julian, um, McKinsey obviously signed with Nashville SC this off season. Um, Julian is a guy who has been training with Nashville SC in the preseason. And, um, I guess that, that is another, um, another reason that trialists sometimes aren't announced. Again, I don't think it's, it's a good enough reason not to, is that, that 
guys are in there to, to practice and they don't have really any intention of signing with, with a club, but um, Julian is a guy who, who obviously impressed some people during the Birmingham Legion match. Um, it's something to keep an eye on. Obviously when you have a family tied to Nashville SC, I, you know, when you look at a, at a friendly match, I don't think you want to say, Oh, this is, this is the performance that we saw, especially against a lower division club is is going to be applicable to MLS play. It's going to ensure or guarantee that this player could play the same role today that he could play, you know, in a uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup match or or sorry, CONCACAF Champions League. I will not be saying CCC. Um, but I, I do think that, um, you know, fans tend to be really impressed by by trialists in ways that are not necessarily projectable to uh, what makes you a good signing for the regular season. I don't want to say uh, Julian Gaines is not that, but he is somebody who, um, you you know, uh, is on the radar and not necessarily somebody that that is like an inevitable signing. Um, the other trialists at that match were Brett Coleman, longtime uh, Minnesota United center back, and Connor Sparrow, former Nashville SC goalkeeper in the USL days, a guy who has spent some time with Chicago Fire and a couple other MLS clubs, has not played a ton of minutes. And then the fourth trialist that that caught people's eyes was Amar Sadich, and he's a guy who uh, I've already discussed because he, because he signed with Nashville SC, and that's the flip side of the coin of guys not being likely to sign is sometimes a guy does well enough that he does end up earning a contract and signing. So keep that in mind when you look at what these guys do, it, it really is about what you, what you don't see in training every day. Um, and what the media doesn't get to see in training every day either. Um, it's, it's not the, the, that first 15 minutes of training that we're sometimes allowed to see. And it's not what happens in a preseason friendly. It is the day to day that kind of determines whether a guy gets signed. Um, another question about the, about the friendly um, Thomas Porter asks uh, accounts of the preseason match describe the team as a high pressing, almost a four two four formation. What other recent MLS teams have tried this? What historical Gary Smith teams have tried this? How would we expect it to alter game flow? Which of our players might flourish in it? I mean, it's a pretty common uh, for teams that are going to press and don't play with a single high striker. It's a pretty common pressing formation. Um, I, I think the lone exception for teams that play with a pair of strikers um, and press that don't do this would be Philadelphia Union. They have gone with that diamond in the middle pretty regularly with two high strikers, but even then they push up the uh, the shuttler uh, type players a little bit. Um, most teams that are going to press and press hard are going to push the wings up pretty high up the pitch because otherwise um, you, aren't, you aren't really pressing. You're, you're kind of in a bit more of a mid block. Um, it's it's quite typical to be, to be honest. Um, Nashville has done it in the past. Um, I think when you look at, uh, you know, how we would expect it to alter the game flow, the, the intention is to cause opponents to turn over the ball in their own end and, and cl- as close to their own goal as possible. This is what New York Red Bulls have done. They've also tried to go with a 4-2-2-2 in more recent years, uh, kind of a, basically the same idea, but a very narrow version with, with uh, instead of speedy wingers, you have um, kind of a pair of attacking midfielders that that can do the dirty work for it. Which players might flourish in it? It will not shock you to hear that I think um, guys who come from the New York Red Bull system make a ton of sense. Anytime Nashville has gone with a heavy pressing uh, philosophy, uh, we've seen a lot of Alex Wheel, and I think Alex Wheel is a guy who has has made sense for that formation or for that kind of philosophy for a long time. So um, he would be the guy to keep an eye on for sure. Um, you look at Drew Yearwood, a guy who recently came over from uh, Red Bulls as well. You look at guys who have have high motors, um, and another guy that that 
makes a ton of sense there. Sean Davis as well. Um, I think I actually think it would work really well um, for another central midfielder that um, you know didn't come from the Red Bull system, and that's Brian Nunga because uh, it minimizes the need for him to to make longer passes, which has not been his forte. It emphasizes his motor and athleticism, which are his forte. So I think he would be a guy that makes sense there. I think a lot of the wing type players that Nashville SC has would be really good fits for this. Jacob Schaffelberg, a lot of speed, yes, but a ton of motor. He's a guy who's just able to get up and down the pitch a bunch of times at full full sprint. excuse me, And that's something that is very important. When you get that press broken, you need to be able to get back and and settle into a more conservative shape or or at least cover your own butt. So that's something that would make a lot of sense. I actually think that um, we, and we've heard Hani Mukhtar talk about it this offseason, but he's talked about it in past offseasons as well. So I wouldn't read too much into it. The Hani Mukhtar makes sense there because he's not the fastest guy on the planet, but he is uh, for a number 10. He's a, he's a pretty high motor guy and he has plenty of speed to kind of um, close down sideways to, to kind of shut down, you know, go sideline to sideline as, as kind of that, that middle linebacker type if Nashville were to press high up the pitch. But Ultimately, Wes and I talked about this a, a bit last week. I, I just don't think that when the rubber meets the road, that Nashville C is going to stick with something that asks so much of the defense to to cover for not not having um, midfielders that are that are um, I guess able to sit back and protect that back line. They're more uh, forcing action higher up the pitch. If that press gets broken, you are exposing your back line. Nashville has not historically wanted to do that. They've done it, you know, in spurts, and as soon as it's punished them, they've gone back to a bit more of a of a, a defense minded kind of lower middle block team, and it's worked out for them over the years. Um, with you know one of the lower payrolls in the league, they have been able to to have some pretty good results. Red Bulls are the opposite; they also have a, a low payroll, and they go balls to the wall, and they have good results too. So, um, I don't. It's I guess just evidence that there's more than one way to skin a cat in this league. I don't think I am breaking any news to anyone here. Speaking of of multiple ways to skin a cat in the league, on this one from a roster build perspective, Uncle Beezy asks, do you view Nashville dropping anchor on our core players as a positive in today's league? It seems to have been a success for other clubs, such as Seattle, while others will blow it up and start over after a failed season like Charlotte after year one. I'll hang up and listen. Um, First things first, uh, Seattle has been successful by not blowing up their team. Charlotte has pretty routinely not been successful and has consistently blown up their team. So I think you see that there's value in consistency. Um, And I do think that that has been part of Nashville's guiding philosophy over the years. Um, What it really means is that you set a floor. Um, You are able to say, you know, as wrong as things can go over the course of this year. And 2023 was one of those years for Nashville SC, particularly uh, after the the League's Cup. This still, you aren't going to be a bad team. You are going to have a floor that is, that is acceptable. You are going to make the playoffs if you contis- consistently do what you are good at and don't want to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater if something goes poorly. And that kind of goes to the uh, the Charlotte thing. It says, you know, blow it up and start over after a failed season. We haven't seen Nashville have one of those. And I think, first of all, would they blow it up if that happened? Maybe. But secondly, one of the reasons that it hasn't happened is because they don't consistently blow it up. The reality is it takes away chances to swing on a higher ceiling. We've seen LAFC take some big swings and, and not all of them have worked out. LAFC has had some, some struggles. They have not had the consistent success that Nashville SC has had. 
their highs have been much higher. They've been in the last two MLS cups and they have won one. Um, there's, there's a downside to, to consistency as well. And that's, um, if, if you focus on having a high floor, you might not, uh, use the resources in a way that extend your ceiling upwards as well. The blessing is that you don't have any Austin style. We're going to swing for the fences and it's going to go wrong and we're just going to be terrible. So I, I, I do believe that when you look at it, Nashville has made that choice and, and there's nothing I can say or do that will change their choice. I think if the team really starts to um, age out a little bit, um, we saw a, a tough decision made with Dax McCarty, for example. Uh, I don't think it would be a surprise if you saw um, Joe Willis or Anibal Godoy end up in some of those positions over the next few years as well. Then we'll see. But I, I think Nashville wants to focus on being consistent since this is a college football podcast um, and, and Wes is not here and I have to make all the college football references myself. It's like a team that wants to build from the recruiting process nowadays instead of focusing on going into the transfer portal and, and picking up a proven piece and, and hoping that that guy is going to be the one to take you over the top. You have year-over-year consistency. You don't have the wild swings. If you miss on a transfer portal guy um, and, and, and end up being horrible, um, if you build guys uh, from the recruiting process, from within, and you, and you know what you're teaching them, you know that they are in the system and they know your system and they are developed within the system, there's going to be a certain floor that you aren't going to fall below. And that's something that has, that has been true for Nashville SC so far. Um, I agree that at times you'd like to see them swing for the fences a little bit more. The problem is when we've seen them swing for the fences at least once in Ake Loba, it's gone horribly. Um, as as A1 Jandarkadi's defender, uh, that actually went pretty well until he, uh, on international duty, contracted a, a well-known respiratory illness that prevented him from being a successful player again for Nashville. And Nashville chose to cut ties with Kadis at that point, obviously, the the downside was that that Loba didn't turn out to be the player Nashville thought. I think when you look at Sam Surridge, there's he's a little bit safer, so it kind of actually makes sense. It's thematically the same, even if it's not literally the same. That he's a bit safer, probably not as high upside as either Cadiz or Loba. I do think Nashville is going to, um, you know, to to bring in another analogy, a golf analogy. They they want to hit it down the fairway. They'll hit it far but they want to hit it down the fairway. They're not going to overswing and, and risk hitting it into the rough as much as some other clubs will. Um, Hani Mukhtar obviously was a guy that they weren't, they weren't swinging all that hard, but they still managed to hit a hole in one. I'm really torturing this metaphor. You guys get where I'm going with it though, but I think Nashville wants to first and foremost have a good team and we'll see if they, if they want to extend that to having a great team in the future. Um, and let's see here. I believe we only have one more question or it's actually one more theme of questions here. Uh, Thomas Porter, uh, second question of the day says, we all hope Leal recovers from his most recent setback and has a productive second half of the season with the team. And for those who, those who missed it, he suffered an injury while on international duty with Costa Rica. He's going to be out four to six weeks. Fortunately, that is not half the season, but it is an extended time. And for Leal, it is not the first time. But anyway, um, Thomas continues. What are the cap resource ramifications of a midseason transfer? Is it sunk cost? What might the team benefit from a roster construction standpoint? J. Mark gets a little bit more to the point and says, "Is it time to part ways with Leal?" Uh, I'll answer. I'll answer that uh, second question first because I think it's the more direct question is the more uh, simple one to answer. Um, Wes and I talked about this a bit over the past couple of weeks, and it's totally possible that it could be time. And I would not have seen myself, uh, you know making such a take as recently as like last July. Um, 
Leal is a really good player when he's healthy. I think he's underrated when he's healthy. Um, he's he's brought up as as an example of a of a failure um, again by the MLS intelligentsia. But I think for one point one million dollars in salary, you can find guys who are as good as Leal, but are able to stay more healthy. And for that reason, I think it's it's a possibility that he he's not here for the long term going forward. Um, like I would have guessed as recently as last summer. Like I said, I still really like him. I think he has a role to play for the club. Um, and another factor to keep in mind is the injuries probably depress the value you can get for him on the market. Um, Nashville is not necessarily in the business of unloading distressed assets because, because they aren't, um, able to, to get the value that they believe uh, the maximum value that they can believe for that asset. Um, I do think, uh, Leal has more to give as, um, Thomas's question implies he's not going anywhere until the, the summer window, unless something really wild comes up unless somebody sees the value in him um, that, that I, I frankly don't think anybody other than Nashville does right now in terms of the salary cap ramifications. He is a TAM player. He makes $1.1 million in salary. As I mentioned before, uh, if you sell a player mid season, um, you get half the cap value back. Basically um, it's not precisely that um, I think it's prorated based on the number of games, half to half of the season, but a, a TAM player counts as, as, $1.1 million on your budget right now. But if you um, unload a player mid-season, or sorry, excuse me, a TAM player takes the takes the TAM that, that is above the the designated player value, which I believe is um, $650 million, right, or $650,000, excuse me, right now. Um, it was $625 last year. I probably should have looked this up before recording, but here I am just going off the cuff. Um, if you sell mid-season, essentially it ends up counting for half of that um, on your on your final budget. The way budget uh, roster budgets are calculated, um, at a given point, your your salary outlay needs to be at a certain level. So right now, Randall Layall counts for one point one million dollars, which would be you know the six fifty in in um, uh, in budget and the uh, additional amount above that in allocation money, which I guess would be five fifty. No, four fifty because I can do math really well. Um, I. I you know, if you sell him the second half of the season, you have effectively that amount of money because the, the player who comes in to replace him has the same sort of prorated value. It's just the, the way budgets, the way budgets happen is essentially at a snapshot in time, you need to be uh, salary budget compliant. You need to be roster compliant. Um, we've talked about it before. I know it can be very confusing. I know it can be very convoluted, but, but the simple answer is essentially it's over. It's it's over if you sell a player midseason. Um, that that money comes off of of the of the budget, and um, you don't need to worry about the the outlay there. So, um, let me double check one last time to make sure. Um, J Mark, uh, no, you already asked that one. And um, okay, Uncle Mad, I'm really flying off the cuff here. Uh, Uncle Mad, second, third, fourth questions about possibly moving on from Leal. And he wants to know my thoughts on Costa Rica's coach suggesting his Leal, that Leal's injuries are tied to his own lack of preparation. Is there something there have been rumblings about around the NSC camp? Um, no, is is the simple answer there. I don't think Leal has any sort of negative reputation as uh, lacking work ethic. I think Leal's um, relationship with the Costa Rican Federation would tell you that the Costa Rican Federation is not... Um, compelled to tell the truth about Leal regularly. Um, that is my take on the matter. That is, I'm not reporting that. That is just how I feel about it. They, he's had a frosty relationship with them. Uh, the, the Costa Rica 
Federation has, has treated him really poorly, even when he's been playing really well. They've uh, used him out of position. You can see that they've gone through a thousand coaches over the past four years and say, okay, let's lay all the problem, um, and including when he hasn't been called up or are the coaches who are consistently getting fired or quitting because they hate the Costa Rican Federation, the problem. There's your answer. And then one last question, Finn Breland. Uh, we, the show is not complete without a question from Finn. Says, Drew Yearwood slotting into the Mukhtar role. Discuss. Um, it's something that would be a little bit more like an Alex Wheel implementation of it. And we've seen Wheel play at the tip of the diamond when Nashville wants to press out of the diamond before. Um, you know, as as Thomas asked earlier, it's is it something that um, if Nashville went to a uh, you know, four two four, which would kind of be a flat four four two as it as it drops into a rest defense. Is that something that um, there there would be a Mukhtar role in that at all? Would Mukhtar be one of the two strikers? Um, Yearwood's strengths are as a destroyer, um, similar to Alex Wheel's strengths as a destroyer. Um, Wheel is a bit more of a positionless destroyer. Um, I do think Yearwood makes more sense um, as a guy who can who can sit back and, and recover and. Um, be the sort of guy who who covers ground when the the pressers ahead of him uh, are are broken, and that's something that Red Bulls have used him for a bit. I don't think he has the incisive feel for that final pass that Hani Mukhtar has. And if you are going to be a team that that relies on that player to turn defense into offense very quickly, uh, that that's something that you want to have. Yes, it's possible that he can do it, and certainly he would be breaking up more play and potentially opening himself up to be making easier passes then perhaps Hani Mukhtar might be in the same situation. But I do think that um, from, from uh, a roster build construction, if you're playing Drew Yearwood as your number 10 or as a second striker, you have probably done something wrong. So it's definitely something that um, if it happens, it's, it's a situational thing or a, uh, or a oops, uh, all injuries uh, sort of, sort of thing. So um, that is it for the mailbag. I would like to once again bring up our good friends, not only Bearded Iris, um, pop in there Friday at 3.30 or at all this weekend. Make sure that you head in there um, and try the Hops 101 Allura. They are our tap of the week. But uh, our presenting sponsor of the Club and Country podcast as well is ML Rose um, locations. So many of them <laughs> cropping up throughout the Nashville area. Um, our our uh, flagship location, 14 minutes and 20 seconds away by foot from Geodis Park, is the Melrose location. Uh, Wes and I, as West Nashvillians uh, nowadays, have an affinity for the Sylvan Park location as well. They are also in Capitol View. They are in Mount Juliet. Uh, locations coming soon in um, East Nashville and I believe... Franklin, um, I apologize to, to ML Rose because I don't remember. Wes is so much better at remembering. Um, they're just popping up all over the place. But thank you to ML Rose. Um, thank you to 440 Sports for the microphones, as Wes says. Even though I bought the microphone myself, Braden Gall, uh, you can Venmo me <laughs> the price for the microphone. Um, joking, obviously. Uh, 440 Sports has been a great platform for us to have this podcast. Thank you to Moon Taxi for the music. Thank you to Wes for forcing me to talk uh, all by myself for however long this podcast ends up being. Um, thank you to you guys for listening. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether that's Spotify. I don't know if you can rate shows on, on Spotify, but if you can, do it. Um, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your pods, make sure you give us not only a rating, but a positive review that really helps people find it. Uh, I am Tim Sullivan for Wes Bowling. Thank you for listening to the Club and Country Podcast.